maybe grab the hand of the person that's next to you. Uh, I feel like there's something so nice about Wednesdays. Chris Valentin says, you know, sit next to, you know, if you're single, sit next to somebody that you like, and then you get to hold their hand. <laughs> it's a good way to introduce yourself, you know, just hold their hand. Yeah. <laughs> you have like a section of all the singles like sitting grouped together like real tight. Everybody's like fighting for seats. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for family and for your presence in our midst and your goodness in our life, your destiny that you have for us, Lord, that you lay it out for us ever so clearly and that all you require us to do is just to simply take steps forward. Lord, our desire tonight is that we would do that. We would get some wisdom to take just another step closer to what you have for us. Lord, as we talk tonight about your goodness and your abundant nature in our life, Heavenly Father, our desire is that these words would sink deep into our heart and that they would transform the expectation that we have for our future. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and just fill this place with your peace, your presence, your power, your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but I have this funny thing with food, um, okay? In the sense that, like, when I go out to dinner somewhere, I really don't care. I don't care what I eat. I don't care where I eat. As long as I know that I'm going to leave full. Does anybody have that? Like, I could basically, like, go eat. Like, Danielle and I, we basically eat this. We, go have, we have a date night on Friday nights or whatever. And we'll go out. And since Lola's been a little more sparse, uh, but we'll go out and eat at the exact same place all the time because, and, and it's like decent food, but I love eating there because I know that when I go there, it doesn't matter how hungry I am. I could be a little hungry or I could be a lot of hungry. And anytime I go to this place to eat, I always leave full. And so the worst thing for me, and I don't actually know that this ever happened, but it must have happened once because I definitely have food trauma. Uh, where eat, going out to restaurants is concerned, but my worst nightmare is going to a restaurant and leaving hungry. Like there are times when I'm going to a restaurant and I know that uh, it's not necessarily like a big eating place. I'm like planning out where I'm going to go out after in order to get food, in order to like calm my nerves, you know? It always is like pizza or something ridiculous like that. And I'm like psyching myself up thinking like, it's okay. Like when you leave tonight, you can go get two slices of pizza and everything is going to be okay. Um, and, and a few months ago, this actually happened to me, is that Danielle and I were going out on our first date since Lola had been born. Um, for those of you that have children, you know that it's like, these are like golden moments when you find somebody who your baby doesn't scream bloody murder with, uh, and finally she'll stay alone, and you know, you get to go out. And I can remember this, and we were finally going out on like our first, you know, nice date, and we got dressed up, we made reservations, we drove 40 minutes away to this place that we know we can go to. And when I realized where she was taking us, um, it was this, it's a small plate restaurant, okay? It's, small plate is such a dumb idea. Like basically, small plate means like snacks for dinner, right? And that's basically what this was. And, and I can remember the whole time that I was eating this food, uh, it was like, you know, you got like this like $15 plate and it comes out and it's like on a little like coffee dish. And you're like, what is this? Like, I could eat this in one bite. And these plates keep coming out and I'm like bothered because I'm feeling like I would need a hundred plates of this food in order to get full. 
okay? And so we have this, and the whole time, you know, we have this nice dinner, we're dressed up, and things are happening, and, you know, Danielle is trying to get me to, like, enter into conversations, and she keeps asking me, like, what's wrong? Like, thinking there's, like, some deep issue that's going on on the inside of me, and really all I have is food anxiety because I'm so hungry, and I feel like I'm not going to leave full. And so we have this whole meal planned out, and it's all happening, and it's amazing. But the whole time, I'm so bothered because I'm feeling like I'm guaranteed that I'm going to leave this place hungry. And it, it sounds funny, but, you know, I, we finally have this opportunity, but I spent my whole dinner bothered because of what the dinner wasn't rather than what the dinner was. You know, finally we get out to dinner Finally, we have this moment where we can connect. You know, it was probably like six months that we waited in order to have this. But I ruined it because I was so focused on that I was going to leave hungry rather than I was going to leave full. And, you know, maybe food isn't your thing. You know, maybe you don't have this food problem that I have where I get nervous about leaving hungry. But every single one of us has something like this, whether it's money, relationships, time, whether it's excitement or enjoyment, whether it's sleep. We all have these things in our life where we could be so focused on what we don't have rather than what we have. The title of my message tonight is Never Not Enough. Um, because one of the things, one of the women who I, I follow, you know, I, I read her books and I like study about her. She really, I don't even know if she's a doctor or not, but she studies human behavior. And she makes this statement in, in kind of this blog that I read that the biggest thing that plagues human culture is our awareness of not enough. You know, we wake up and what's the first thing we feel? I didn't get enough sleep. You go to bed at night and you feel like what? I didn't get enough done. Our whole life can become consumed by how much we don't, by how we feel as though we never have enough of the thing that we need, and we feel as though we need that thing in order to translate to happiness in our life. You know, and we can live so aware of what we don't have in our life. It's like the woman in 1 Kings 17, you know, the widow uh, where Elijah comes to her and, you know, she has one cake or enough oil and flour in order to make one cake left. And her whole life is consumed by what? How she doesn't have enough. That there's a miracle that God is waiting to do in her life. There is an abundant overflow that's not only going to be enough for her to eat, but it's going to be the miracle provision that's going to give them life and sustenance. Because her response was, like, I'm just going to make this last cake and die. You know, like, we don't have enough. And, I mean, that's the worst nightmare, isn't it? I mean, like, it, it's just, I feel like it's funny like that. Like, sometimes I feel like that. Like, if I don't get enough food at dinner tonight, I'm going to die. You know, and this is how this woman feels. She feels, this is what she says to Elijah is, uh, uh, I'm going to make this cake and my son and I are going to eat it. And then we're just going to sit back here and die. Because her focus uh, was on, what, I mean, she had the miracle man in her house. Like, Elijah was known for how many miracles he does. And in the midst of the miracle man, she's focused on how she doesn't have enough. I think about that, and I think about that in my own life, is am I so focused on my not enough that I miss out on the more than enough that God is trying to produce in my life? If she wasn't willing to act in her not enough— she would have missed the miracle that God was trying to do in her life. 
that if she would have baked that cake and ate it by herself, there's a very good chance that her and her son would have died. But if she wasn't willing to step into her not enough and allow God to fill that void. I mean, it's the same thing that we see that happens in the Gospels when Jesus fed the 5,000. I think that's really interesting about the story of the 5,000 because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this miracle. It's actually, other than the crucifixion, it's the only account where all four of the writers of the Gospels, they talk about this story. So it's the crucifixion and the feeding of the 5,000, which raises a, a question for me. You know, it's when you see something said multiple times in the Bible. The things like that, like, you know, if it's in there once, like, yeah, it's great. It's important. It's in the Bible. But when something is just this common theme that's repeated all the time, it begins to make me ask some questions. And for the fact that all four of the gospel writers, you know, they don't write all about Lazarus being raised from the dead, or, you know, they don't read about, you know, the lepers. They, it, not all of them are writing about these accounts, but each and every one of the four writers accounts the story of the 5,000. And so it begins to beg the question in me, what is so valuable about this story? Because if it wasn't so valuable, it wouldn't have been treated by all four of the disciples as though this is a very valuable lesson that people should know about as they are trying to step into this New Testament life. And so I think about that. I think about the story of, you know, the, uh, of what has gone on. And, and maybe let's read that together. It's in John 6, chapter 1. I think about the story and I want to know. I'm interested to see because we've read through this so many times. But I feel like the message in this story is teaching us how to step out of a place of not enough and into a place of more than enough. And so it says that sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Right? Those miracles aren't talked about the way feeding the 5,000 is talked about. Then Jesus went up a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? The scripture says that he asked him only to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, thinking about how they didn't have enough. Standing in the presence of the guy who has pretty much had the ability to solve any problem that he addresses. I mean, pretty much up until this point, Jesus did whatever Jesus wanted to do. He never came up short. He never didn't have an answer necessary in order to bring the proper solution to the problem that was at hand. But Philip's response is one where he notices what they don't have rather than what they do have. I think about this is the same Philip who would have been at the wedding with Jesus. Where he, Jesus tells him, go get a bunch of buckets of water and I'm going to turn them into wine. So obviously these guys are very aware that Jesus has this amazing miracle ability to transform what isn't into what he wants it to be. But still, the mindset of Philip in this moment can be so much like the way that we think about things. We've watched as God has done amazing things in our life, but still, 
our natural response to situations can be to focus on what we don't have rather than what we know God can do because of what he has already done. I think that's why this story is in the New Testament. It's because it's reminding us that we don't have to err to the way things seem. We don't have to give in to the situation. We don't have to give in to the statistics that Jesus isn't intimidated by the impossibility or by the way things look. This is why he says to Philip, you know, Philip, what do you think we should do? But he wasn't asking Philip because he was looking for an answer. Jesus already had the answer. But what? He's challenging Peter. Peter, can you see out of the eyes of more than enough? Rather, through the, rather than through the eyes of not enough. And Philip answered him and said, It would take more than half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each person to have just one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Right? So he's a little bit closer than Philip. You know, he's like, he's past trying to figure it out naturally. And he's kind of caught on to the Jesus equation that like Jesus's questions are more rhetorical than they are looking for an answer. So I feel like Andrew's kind of just like looking around trying to feel like Jesus already knows what he's going to do here. And so he's just like searching for what could possibly be the answer, you know. And so he says, well, there's a boy over there with small fish. But, you know, just to kind of make sure that he doesn't look like a fool, he, like, makes sure that he qualifies his answer. But, I mean, not that there's anything special. You know, I kind of feel like that. Like, he jumps out, and everybody looks at him funny, and he's like, well, I mean, obviously that's not enough. I'm just saying there's a boy over here. With <laughs> okay. And Jesus said, in response to this, in response to Andrew saying, here's a boy, but the food is not enough. You see, Jesus doesn't respond out of the shortage. He responds out of the abundance. And he tells him, have the people sit down. It says that there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, about 5,000 men. Which men, you think about men, so let's say they had their wives and their children. So it's, you know, 5,000 men, but it's estimated it could have been between twenty and 25,000 people crazy. Think about 20,000 people. That's why I'm sure Andrew is like, you know, there's a boy over there, but I mean, it's no, 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 no pressure, Jesus. Absolutely no pressure. You know, it's like a small boy's lunch. It says that there's plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, and when Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated, and they ate as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. And when they had all eaten it up, Eat, eat, and they ha all had enough to eat. Jesus said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let there be nothing that's wasted. So they gathered them. See, not only did they have enough. That's why I love, I, I, I love thinking about it all the time, how Jesus said that he is an exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond. You know, I, I remember Keith Moore talking about a story. He was talking about bananas, actually. And how there's bananas, and they just fall off trees and rot. You know, like you'd think that, that's so wasteful. Like, God would have made trees that 
the only time fruit grows is when the tree knows people are going to pick it. But that's not the way that fruit tree, in, in fact, it's every year that tree doesn't get picked. Next year it's going to get bigger and it's going to waste even more than what it wasted last year. And it's realizing that God is exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. Not that he wants us to be like slothful people or wasteful people, but God is not, God doesn't, you know, he's, his breaks are like slow. You know, Jesus is like feeding the 5,000 and he gets done and God's like still multiplying the food enough to, like what was the point of multiplying more food? It's just God doesn't know when to call it quits in our life. And so we can sometimes look at things and feel as though we're so aware of what we don't have and God is on the other side saying, look at how I've brought you this far. Like your life has been impossible up until this point. What makes you think that tomorrow is going to be any different than the miracles that I did yesterday? And you see, this is what happened in the lives of the disciples is they were so focused on their momentary problem that they forgot that Jesus had already given them solutions throughout their whole existence. So it says that they gathered the pieces that were left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had been eaten. So turned five into feeding 20,000 plus 12 baskets of leftovers. So I began to think about this concept because I feel as though sometimes in our life we can struggle to see God's more than enough in the middle of our not enough. So I started to ask myself this question, how can I thank God for what he has done before he has done it. Because it's easy to thank God after, isn't it? You know, like when I, when Lola is born and she's like totally healthy and everything is good and everything is, you know, we're peachy, it's easy to be like, yes, God, and oh, my faith is so powerful that I've manifested this perfect. But it's a totally different story when you're like walking through the process and you're nervous. How do we learn how to Thank God and focus on God before God has done the miracle that we're looking for him to do. I want to live in a place where I'm so focused on his more than enough that it casts a very large shadow over my not enough. I want to become so aware of how over-the-top abundant God is that when I'm faced with a problem that I don't see in the natural how it can have a solution, it's easy for me to overlook that problem because how confident I am in God's more than enough power. Because I tell you something, the same power that multiplied those fish and loaves has, it, there's the same opportunity for uh, God to explode that power in our own lives today. There's no difference between this fish and five loaves than there is inside of my finances or my physical body or inside of my relationships. The same power that multiplied the loaves has the same power to, if you're believing for a husband or a wife, bring you your husband or a wife. I actually wanted to pray for that before, so I'm going to pray for that at the end. Receive that. Do it right now. I actually feel it right now. Stand up. If you are believing God for a husband or a wife, stand up. You're believing for like your God person. This is actually my word. I totally forgot about it. And then the Lord reminded me. 
Okay. I'm just going to pray over you, and I'm not going to say when, because I don't know when. But I believe that God is, like, making me very, just very aware of it. And normally I don't do things like this. And so um, maybe if you're, I was going to say, maybe if you're a boy, you should go hold hands with a girl, and we'll pray, right? <laughs> we'll do, like, Wednesday night matchmaking at Light City Church. No. Okay, so that's you. Just put your hands out. Lord, we thank you. God, with the same miracle-working power that you multiplied the fish and the loaves, Lord, we're thanking you for spouses. Lord, you said that people would come from nations near and far to be a part of what God is doing in our midst. And this is what God is doing. These people that are standing up, this is what God is doing here. And so, Lord, I'm asking, we're calling in from the four corners of the earth that you would dispatch goodly husbands and goodly wives. Lord, the people of promise. Lord, not random Joe Schmoes. Although, bless the Joe Schmoes and the Jill Schmoes out there. Lord, we're thanking you for God-husbands and God-wives. Lord, we call them in. Lord, let their heart be drawn to what God is doing in Fort Erie and Buffalo. And we thank you, Lord, for manifestation. I come against any hopelessness that would try to set in in people's hearts of feeling like, when will it ever happen? Or is it ever going to happen? Or could it ever happen? Or maybe I'm past my moment. Or all the things that the enemy tries to lie to us about. But Heavenly Father, I'm thanking you, God, that the very fact that you gave us the desire means that you've given us the answer. And so, Lord, each of us, as we stand in here, Lord, we receive the answer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, cool. That was awesome. I really believe that. So stand, stand for that. You're getting, you're getting married. Woo! And I'll marry you. I actually love doing weddings. I do. Like, it's amazing. Like, I read a script it's my dad's script, actually. Like, I just stole his script, and I read it, and I, like, cry my way through it, right? Because it's just so beautiful. Like, I think about Brooklyn Nine-Nine and how anybody watch that show. He's like, Terry loves love, you know? Terry lo and I feel like that, like, Alex loves love. Like, I love when people love each other. Anyway, so I will marry you for a price, not for free. You pay me, I will marry you. I will marry you good, folks. Okay. Okay. Um... So, so this is what I'm saying is, is that it's so easy for us to be focused on where we're lacking rather than focused on God's abundant provision in our life, okay? And the way that we change our situation isn't by focusing more on the negative, right? I think about this. How many times have you worried yourself to an answer? Anybody? How many of you have gotten so afraid that it made you feel good? Nobody. How many of you have ever been so worried that all of a sudden you start to feel peaceful? right? Nobody in here. But sometimes we, that's what can happen to us by our human nature is that we can get caught, you know, spiraling down these shoots in our brains where we allow ourselves to go to these places of focusing on what God hasn't done rather than what God has already done in our life. I tell you something is that the Bible says that the New Testament prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. It is what, it, it, my ability to look into someone's life and say that because God would do this for someone else, that is a prophetic word to me of what God is going to do in my life. And I want to take this one step further because I was meditating on that this morning. And God said to me, is that when you look at your past, your past, it can be a prophetic message to you about what I'm going to do for you in the future. That if I was willing to do it for you then, that's a prophetic word to future me to say that I did it then and I'm going to do it now. 
But what we have to force ourselves to do is to focus on the fact that God has set up a system that I would never experience not enough. That's never been in the cards. Now, sometimes the manifestation of something is longer than we think that it's supposed to be. But I promise you something, that when we're willing to stand firm on what God is, on who God is, the answer is always making its way to us. And so I thought about it, I thought about it from the sense of, what is it that we do then? Because I, I believe that Christianity is practical. I believe that it's not just this spiritual thing. We're not these spiritual blobs that just float around. There are natural, practical things that we do, right? Like if you want to get strong, there are things that you do in order to get— excuse me, there are things you do in order to get strong. If you want to stop worrying, you don't hope to not worry anymore. There are things that you actually do to stop worrying. If you have, you know, if you're nervous or you don't like the way that you look, or you, there's practical things that we employ in our life in order to get ourselves free, okay? I tell this to people when I do rhema on them. We are sovereign beings, and I have the control of my own life. Nobody else gets to say what stays or goes in my life. If something is staying or going, it's because I, in some way, conscious or subconscious, have allowed that thing to happen in my life. And so unfortunately, for so often, we've been the negative recipients of that. We get what we don't want and lose what we do want. Instead, what we have to do is just turn the table. Is I have to focus on, in the midst of my situations, my focus, my attention has to be on the nature of God. Because I tell you something, it doesn't take long when you think about God or the nature of God to change the way you feel about a situation. Like you ever tried, you know, in, in a moment of weakness, like putting on like a really great worship song that you love, like, and try to stay mad in the middle of it. Or like, if you ever laughed in the middle of a situation, there's a problem and you're just like, ha ha. You know, we, sometimes we do this and I, you, I still hate doing it, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, people are like, well, just laugh about it. And you're like, ha ha, ha ha. And then like something clicks on the inside of you and you start to think that your fake laugh is funny. So it's like, you're actually laughing at yourself and it's like all of a sudden your mood changes. And then five minutes later, you realize, wait a minute, I was like so depressed five minutes ago. Why, what happened? It's putting our focus and our attention off of what's wrong and onto what's right. And so I thought about how do we do that in our life? Because there's a way that we do this. And the first thing I have written down is that there's three things I want to say. They are lean in, look back, and listen up. The first one is that we're to lean in. That we lean into the situation and allow God to stretch us and work through us. Okay? Lean in is tough. Because lean in is like the introspective moment. Where you come to yourself and realize... I'm the reason I'm here. That's like, that is humbling, but that is what engages me in the process, is that I have to acknowledge that what's happening around me, it, you know, it's easy to blame, isn't it? I love to blame. You know, I was like a master at blaming for a while, like pretty much PhD status. I could find a way to blame anybody for anything as long as that person wasn't me. But the problem is, is that we don't grow when we blame. 
the reason I am where I am is only my issue. And so there's so often that I'll find myself in these situations and I used to pray to God like, God, save me, take me out of this problem. Which sometimes I still do, truthfully. But I've learned that that's not the right thing, that I'm not asking the right thing. Now I've started to ask God, instead of for God to just like rescue me or teleport me out of my problem, I've started asking God, God, why am I here? Because I'm here for a reason, right? If God is good and his nature is good and he orders my steps, that means in some way, shape, or form, you know, however you want to put the pieces together, God led you here for a reason. He said he won't allow anything to come on you that would overtake you. He's orchestrated everything. He's using everything. So you may not like that you are where you are, but you're there for a reason, and there's something that you have to learn in the spot that you are. And so the first thing I started to say was, Lord, why am I here? I tell you, this is hard, because the answer is always something you definitely don't want to hear. It usually looks like you're selfish, you're self-absorbed, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're mean. It usually looks something like that. It's never pleasant why you are where you are, or else where you were would be where you want to be. But there's no shame in this. Sometimes we can feel as though there's shame in having issues that are going on on the inside of us. I tell you something, like we've been talking about it, like the struggle, the pressure, the intensity, right? These things come simply just to, like I'm trying to get to a spot. And the stuff that's in me if everything was in me that was right in order to get me to the spot, I'd be getting to the spot. The very fact that I'm not at the spot, nobody's to blame for that, except for the fact that there's stuff in me that's keeping me from being able to get to the spot. I think about it like, I'm, am I talking fast? It's good, because it's 8.30. Woo! All right. Uh, I think about it like somebody wearing a backpack, and you're walking into like a narrow corridor. And, you know, you're walking, and you have this backpack, and eventually the backpack gets stuck. You know, because it's like narrowing, and you're like, ah, oh, this thing is stuck, right? Now, I can stand there and complain about the fact that my backpack is stuck, or I can start to empty out the backpack and make the backpack smaller so I can take a step. This is the way that I see life with God, is that what he's doing is he's leading me down the narrow road, and every step that I take is requiring me to take something else out of my backpack. Maybe it was that past failure that was back there that's holding me back. Maybe it's that anger or that shame. Maybe it's the insecurity that I got to let go because God is asking me to take another step. That's why we find ourselves in the spots where we are is because God is using this situation not to destroy me, but to give me eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart that understands that this thing that I've been carrying is actually holding me back from where I want to be. So I got to lean in. I have to, rather than trying to like flight away from my problems— I got to lean into my problem. I'm here for a reason. And my exodus out of my problem is going to come, not because God magically reaches down and rescues me. My exodus is going to come because I get from the stage what I needed to get from the stage. That's number one. Number two. I got to look back. I have to elevate my perspective out of the situation and remember where I've been. I have this written down. Mistakes may knock us down, but perspective keeps us down. 
I've learned that instead of focusing where I am right now, because each and every one of us sitting in this room tonight have areas of our life that we're going through that we want, in some capacity, we want to be able to be freed from. Whether it's something physically, emotionally, maybe it's something in your finances, a relationship, maybe there's sickness in your body. There's something that everybody is experiencing tonight that we're believing God for. And instead of living focused on my problem, I'm focusing on how God has brought me through all the problems that I had before. It's like the saying is that there's mountains in front of me, but there's valleys behind me. And sometimes I can get so focused on the mountains that are in front of me, and because I never look back at how God has leveled the mountains, I live in constant fear of the mountains that are ahead of me instead of realizing that, wait a minute, the last mountains that I had, God took care of those. So if he took care of that, why wouldn't he take care of this? And so I have to elevate my perspective out of this situation because as long as I live inside of this situation, I'm just going to like exist there. I'm going to stay caught up in the vortex of that problem. Instead, I have to step out of my situation and look back and say, wait a minute, God, you have done, look at you did this and you did this and you did this and this impossible and that impossible and this thing and that thing. And they told me that this was going to happen and that was going to happen. And I'm still standing here today and everything is going just fine. And the same power that brought me here is the same power that's going to bring me to the next spot. But as long as I stay focused on the not enough, on the shortage, I live afraid of the problems. And instead of embracing and learning and growing, instead of God using this fire and this pressure to transform me, I allow it to destroy me. But when I remember all that God has done and brought me through, it reminds me, if he was faithful then, of course he will be faithful now. Right? Like, I think about that sometimes when I'm complaining, which I'm getting way better at, praise Jesus. But sometimes I complain, and I have to, like, look back, and I'm like, Lord, you did so much in my life. Like, you were, you were like, orchestrating things and making things happen before, you, like, you were solving problems before I even knew I had them. Like you were going, you were doing things even though I didn't deserve them. And I have to remind myself of this. And then because when I remind myself of it, I remind myself of, Lord, you're so good and your nature is good. And I always think about this now. Like I love Lola so much and there's nothing I wouldn't do for Lola. So why do I think about you any different than I think about her? And I'm evil compared to you. I can love. You are love. You're constrained by your very nature of love. You can't do anything for, uh, for me or around me that would in any way harm me because you're constrained by your love for me. And you're faithful to that nature. So when I ask you for something or when I cry out to you, I'm not wondering whether or not you're going to answer. I may not like the way you answer or your timeline, but I know very well that because I asked, I know that you're going to bring about the solution. Now, maybe the solution is going to be bringing me to another problem. But I'm going to do the same thing in my next mountain as I did in this mountain. And then the next mountain, and then the next mountain. Because eventually you're just going to run out of mountains. Theoretically. I mean, I don't know that. Don't quote me. I don't know. But this is the reality is that I live, I endeavor to live eternally focused on who God is. None of my issues or my problems or my failures or my shortcomings. Because I tell you something, you're, we're never going to be good enough in order to do this thing. 
That's just a reality. Like stop thinking that God is going to somehow do something when you magically get to the spot. It's just, it's the grace of God in our life where we simply just do our best. And so it's stepping into that place of reality of saying, I'm just going to trust in your nature, God. I'm just going to trust in this amazing ability that you have to turn things right. And the last thing, and I'm done with this, you got to listen up. Can you see your situation through God's word and God's nature? What do you have more confidence in, the situation or in God's nature? Who do I trust when things aren't looking good? You see, the disciples in this story were looking for a natural solution, and when they couldn't find a natural solution to the problem, they gave up and said, send the people away. Jesus was setting them up for one of the greatest miracles in the New Testament, and because the disciples were looking for a natural solution and couldn't find it, they were going to cause everybody to miss out on what Jesus was going to do. I tell you something, just like the story of the widow, she would have missed her miracle if she wouldn't have forced, her, forced herself to see the nature of God in the middle of her situation. I tell you, God will never bring us to a place where you can solve the problem on your own. This was my problem when I was, I, I, I don't even want to say this. I'm smart, like really smart. And I used to think that that's what life was all about, was being smart and how I could figure things out. And now it's how I live my Christianity, like figuring things out and figuring things out. I'm to the place where I would just like stress myself out to the max. And I like had to sit back and feel like, I'm like, I'm figuring myself up into a hole, you know? And like this hole is full of stress and worry and anxiety. And I'm just like, Jesus, take the wheel because I can't. And this is the thing that I realized is that we were never meant to live this life on our own. You know how I've learned if I'm on the will of God or not is, uh, is w what I'm stepping out into, can I do it on my own or not? If I can accomplish the thing that God is asking me to do on my own, chances are it's not the will of God. Like there's some things that God is doing in my life right now that I'm like racking my brain trying to figure out like, how is this going to, like it can't happen. I can't figure it out. And I'm just like, Jesus, take the wheel, right? Because I'm just, I'm realizing that the very fact that I got here was supernatural. And so as I'm walking this supernatural life, I can't expect that all of a sudden supernatural is going to turn to natural. Like I'm either floating on the supernatural cloud or I got to get off this ride because eventually it's going to get too hard for me to do on my own. And so why do I feel as though God's going to take the supernatural and then be like, oh, Alex, you know, you got it. You take it from here, buddy. You got this. It's never going to happen. And so I'm forced in life as I'm following God in situations. We're forced to trust in his nature. Because outside of his nature, I promise you this, the things that he's telling you you're going to do in your life just can't make sense. It's financially not feasible, emotionally not feasible. You're not smart enough or good looking enough. You're definitely not strong enough. But the beautiful thing is that we don't have to be. Jesus was never expecting that our destiny would ride on our own shoulders. The Bible says what? That John 15, I'm just, I'm a part of the vine. And I just got to do my part. And my part is I just got to stay connected to Jesus. And so when those situations come that try to make me feel as though I'm off the vine, you know, I'm out here floating on my own and I'm never going to, I got to remind myself, no, 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 no. This is not about me. It's not my own strength. It's not my own ability. 
Of course it's impossible. Making fruit out of nothing is impossible. Like you're telling me it's just going to grow off of me. Like I don't understand how this is going to happen, but I'm just going to stay connected to the vine and trust that God, somehow you're going to make the impossible. Somehow you're going to create something that wasn't there. And I don't know, I'm just going to wake up and it's going to be there. And I'm, I'm, I'm foolish enough maybe to trust. I'm crazy enough to trust that because God said it, he'll do it that he's given us promises. He said them, he's going to do them. They've spoken things over your family that they weren't just words. It wasn't just God getting your hopes up so he could crush your dreams. God speaks to us because it's it's indicative of his nature. And the Bible says that there's not a single word that he releases that returns to itself void. The Bible says that the very word that was spoken itself contains the power in order to bring that thing to pass. And that's what I stand on. I stand on his nature, on his goodness, on his mercy. I tell you something, I've seen God do just as much in the mercy of God as the grace of God. Why? It's when I stand in this place and when the, the lies, the life, the situations, the problems, they're bombarding me and they're all around me. It's like, I just, I'm, I'm learning to just stop in the middle of it and just think, I think about Lola and we, you, you need a picture. I think about Lola from the sense of like how much I love her and, you know, I do stupid things with her because I'm just like, oh God, like I love this little like chubby ball of perfection. <laughs> She's young. She's young. But this is the thing is that I think, and I sit in that, and I allow myself to remember and realize, man, if I like Lola this much, like, oh, I imagine how much God loves me. Like, he's obsessed with us. Like, like, obsessed. Like, you know, like dumb grandparent obsessed. Like my mom is that. My mom is like a dumb grandma where she will do absolutely anything in order to like make the kid happy. Like if you could get like a video camera and watch her, you'd be like, Pastor Tina. Like what? <laughs> you know, because she's like jumping around and bouncing around. and uh, ooh, uh, ah, uh, uh. Like she will do anything. And I think about that and I look at that picture and I think about like, G- that God isn't some like far off guy who's like waiting to like strike us down or knock us down or knock us off or waiting for us to mess up or to do something that's stupid. No, God is like the grandma who's like, you know, like running over is like, oh, God got Google. Just trying to get a smile out of us because he's so obsessed with us. And so when I sit in the middle of that, I think about all my problems and all my stuff. And I think about Lola and how I would do anything in order to fix any of her problems. You know, like, oh, baby, is your bed comfortable enough? You know, are your toys fun enough? Are you having a good enough time today? And I think about God up in heaven, like the embodiment of perfected love. When he looks down at our situation and sees us, like how intense does he want like, what could you do? Like, I love the scripture that says, where could I go that you aren't already there? Like, I mean, it just like opens me up to this reality of like, this feels like the darkest night 
but you know i'm doing that like i think about those things that like god is god is in the darkness just as much as he's in the light he's in he's in my pain just as much as he's in my pleasure he's in my triumph and he's in my insecurities Where could I go that you aren't already there? And so when I sit in that, it's a constant reminder to me of, Lord, like, I'm like, Lord, this is what I got. You know, I got this couple pieces of bread and some fish, you know? I mean, not that you'd want to use them at all, all right? But if you, if you can, this is what I got. And watch as God uses the little that we can give him and transforms it into exceedingly abundantly above and beyond in our life. So, Heavenly Father, that's our desire this evening. Lord, that we would know you in this capacity, this covenantal relationship where you're in us and we're in you, and that your very life, the life-giving, perfected nature of Christ flows through us and into every situation that we would find ourselves in. Lord, our desire this evening is that we wouldn't err to the natural, but that we'd be supernatural beings. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.